6.15, beginning at verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we were saved just as they are. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, Copersebus and Silas, men who were elders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friend Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leanne, and good evening, church. Great to open God's word with you. Um, Before that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that as we um, open up your word, that your spirit will work in our hearts, uh, soften our hearts, and help us to um, yeah, be obedient to your word. Uh, so pray for myself to be clear and faithful to your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a man was stranded on an island. 
alone for a number of years. And finally, um, the rescuer located him. And so as these people come to him and rescue him, uh, before they took this man off the island, uh, he wanted to show them what he has done around the island. So he took these um, people who are rescuer, um, took them to his hut and said, well, this is my home that I built with my own hands. Then he showed them to another building and said, well, that's the church that I built with my own hands. And then one of the rescuers asked him, what about that other building? Well, that's the church that I used to go, he replied. Well, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it does describe to us one of our modern-day Christian problems. That many times I've had conversations with people, with, with Christian brothers and sisters, uh, who told me they have left their previous church uh, because of some bad experiences, um, some divisions within the church, um, disagreements and, and hurtful experience with people. And it's not just on an individual level, but also on a corporate level. Um, I, one of the most common questions that my, my non-Christian friends ask me is, why are there so many different churches? Uh, are they all the same? Or, or how, how are they different to each other? I'm not trying to have a go on our different Protestant um, denominations. Uh, there are some good reasons to have uh, freedom to express in different ways in our own preference on how we express our faith. But we can't deny the fact that Christian divisions is one of the contributing factors to our many, many Protestant denominations. Disagreements and divisions, uh, unfortunately, is not uncommon uh, within our Christian circle. And in our passage today, um, the early church, the New Testament church, they are facing a divisive issue as well. Uh, an issue so important that uh, it took Paul and Barnabas from their mission trip back to Jerusalem to seek agreement with um, the other apostles. So we are currently on our Acts sermon series, and uh, the whole book of Acts is about gospel advancement. Um, during the New Testament time, how the gospel being spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And along the way with the gospel advancement, there's also all these uh, obstacles um, that are kind of pushing back um, of the spreading of the gospel, hindering um, the advancement of our gospel. And so last week, we saw Paul and Barnabas. They were in this city, and uh, first they were tempted to lift up themselves over God, and uh, people were worshipping them. And then it, when they didn't take the bite, uh, when they point, still uh, faithfully point people to uh, the Lord Jesus, um, Paul was stoned by these people very quickly. Uh, and um, yeah, they were uh, persecuted by people. However, under God, the gospel continued to advance, uh, continued to grow despite persecution. And today, in our passage, we are told that a new problem arises. Uh, not a problem from outside uh, persecution, but from within the church, uh, from within the Christian community. So, uh, with the remaining time, we are going to go through the passage with these three um, titles. Um, the issue, uh, salvation by grace, the decision, God's choice, and God's plan. And finally, conclude with um, saved by grace, 
live in grace. So, what's another obstacle to the gospel advancement? In verse 1, immediately, Luke goes straight to the issue for us. Um, so, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless circumcision, you can't be saved. Uh, this is a big claim, uh, a salvation issue, an issue of ultimate importance, what theologians would call a first-order issue. And why? Because it concerns our salvation. It concerns eternity. It concerns the only way that God has given us, uh, his people, to, to reconcile with him, um, to be with him, to, to be saved. Um, salvation by grace alone and not by any other means, not by works, uh, is an important doctrine uh, of our Christian faith. And this is why in verse 2, um, Paul and Barnabas, they were having sharp dispute and debate with the people from Judea to protect the gospel. Uh, in elsewhere, Paul said to, um, describing the, the incident, he said, we did not give in for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. This is a salvation issue. It's a very important issue. An attempt to alter uh, this doctrine uh, means that we are deserting from the grace of our Lord Jesus, from the good news of our Lord Jesus. Or you might be thinking, well, I grew up in a Protestant church, and so I agree. Uh, let's move on then. Salvation by grace alone. I'm totally on board. Well, um, it's not only this, but I think it's also helpful as we open God's Word to think about gospel principles. And so uh, as we, as the, the early church, as they approach this divisive issue, um, how did they react? Uh, how do they make a decision? And uh, what can we learn as we approach similar issues in church, divisive issues at church, that what to do um, as Christians? Because divisive issues, they are difficult to navigate. Uh, oftentimes, it creates a lot of pain and difficulties within a church community. When I was a student minister, um, I was in this local church, and it had... Uh, it, it was started by some Hong Kong Christians, Hong Kong Anglican Christians. Um, they used to gather in this uh, relatively um, traditional Hong Kong Anglican church. And so when they, some of them at least, uh, migrated to Australia, um, they brought the whole kind of Hong Kong Anglican liturgy with them. And so um, they, uh, with their community, some of them being like 50, 60 years, they had 50, 60 years of experience with this um, order of service. Uh, it's a very comfortable way for them to, um, to do church service, to do Sunday together. Uh, some of them have even, yeah, throughout their whole life, um, do things in a certain pattern, um, singing particular hymns, um, responding in a specific time in the service, um, yeah, doing, reciting the same prayer over and over again uh, every Sunday. And as you can imagine, uh, when changes were suggested, uh, it met 
with the strongest opposition by this congregation. Uh, people said, what well, is how it was always done, why change now? Um, this other way of doing church is not as biblical as what we used to have. And so uh, let's stick to what we have. Or, or the younger generation should really just um, try to appreciate um, the, the, the biblical, um, rich biblical um, culture of this liturgy. They should learn from uh, how good this is instead of just um, doing something else. And very quickly, it went from disagreement to um, divisions and at the end, even personal attacks. Um, members, members were fighting um, publicly uh, in meetings, um, talking behind each other's back, unwilling to sit with one another at church or after church, um, church lunch. And some of them even left church. It was heartbreaking to witness and really, really tough for those who were involved, uh, not just feel, theologically, but also relationally and, and emotionally. I still remember the scene where it was um, our annual church meeting, and as the minister was um, yeah, sharing um, directions and uh, planning, a member stood up and started yelling at the minister. And his son uh, came very quickly to try to de-escalate things. And the father started yelling to his son as well, calling him a traitor or his family. It's really painful um, to experience it. I created so much grief within the church community. Uh, some of the members, after two, three years, are still affected by what happened during those times. Well, this should give us a glimpse of what kind of sharp dispute and debate Paul and Barnabas was going through in our passage today. If some second order, not, not as important um, order of church service kind of issue, can create so much pain within a church community, imagine the difficulties and challenges with Paul and Barnabas when, when they were handling salvation issues, uh, issue of ultimate importance. Disagreements and disputes in, in church are no small matters. It can be a huge obstacle uh, working against um, the spreading of the gospel. So this is what the church uh, at Antioch was facing, uh, a difficult and complicated situation. Well, how would the church respond? Uh, how would the apostle handle the situation? Uh, because of the nature of the issue, Paul and Barnabas they went back to Jerusalem um, to talk to the other apostles and elders there. And this is what the apostles do in verse 7. After much discussion, uh, verse 7, Peter got up and addressed, addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Well, two things worth noticing here. Uh, first, it's about God's choice, the choice of God. God is the decision maker, not man. And throughout our passage, many, many times, uh, Luke makes sure we know that Gentiles are accepted by God. So in verse 3, uh, the news of the Gentiles uh, being converted was uh, proclaimed uh, around this area. 
Phoenicia and Samaria, and people were really happy, glad about the news. And then in verse 8, the giving of the Holy Spirit, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentile Christians. And also in verse 12 of our passage today, um, the, the miraculous signs and wonders God had done, not just among the, the Jewish Christians, but also among the Gentiles. All these point to the fact that God has included Gentiles as his people. Uh, he made no distinction between the two, Jews and Gentiles. And hence, uh, Peter concluded in verse 11. Peter said, verse 11, No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we, the Jews, are saved, just as they, the Gentiles, are. Well, salvation by grace alone. And what does an understanding of being saved by grace look like in real life? I think it's a heartfelt realization of how big our God is and how small we are. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I find myself reversing the order, thinking that I am more important and kind of pushing God's way, God's plan away. Almost questioning God's choice, uh, almost saying to God, really God, um, this guy as well, he is also a Christian, he is also one of your people. Well, I, I probably don't say it out loud, but it shows in how I treat uh, my fellow believers. Uh, there are times I allow my own preference to, to dictate how I do relationships, uh, often spending time with those who I'm comfortable with, uh, those I click well with. Um, those who are similar enough to me, uh, those that are easy to talk to, easy to relate with. Or I, I judge people by my own standard, uh, whether they are good or bad in my own sight, uh, how mature or immature they are, how considerate or inconsiderate they are. Ultimately, how nice they are to me or how much trouble they cause me. And, and this show that instead of I'm God's choice, I'm really just shaped by my own preference. I'm still seeing things through my own eyes and not through God's. It shows I don't fully understand being saved by grace. I don't fully understand how big my God is and how small I am and I should submit to what he has in mind. And if God says there's no distinction between who he has chosen... Um, there shouldn't be any distinction in how I treat those he has chosen, um, treat God's people. We are all under grace, and what matters ultimately is who God has chosen and not our human preference. Our second, uh, from, from this uh, passage, from our passage today, um, the decision was made according to God's word. And so after Peter's address, to um, the Jewish community, uh, the apostle James stood up, and in verse 15, he said, well, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written in verse 17, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Well, the Jerusalem council, at the end, made a decision and they had confidence in their decision because the decision 
is in agreement with God's word, with the plan of God. Uh, according to the prophets, Gentiles are included as well. Gentiles are saved by grace as well, uh, just like the Jews. Uh, they are included uh, as God's people within God's plan. And through God's word, his plan has been fully revealed to us. And uh, we can have confidence in, in God's word that this is his plan. Uh, just as the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for faith and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture. Well, scripture, uh, God has revealed his plan to us, uh, what he has in mind. And this is why it's important for us as his people to, to know and to understand his salvation plan. Debate, like um, in our passage, doesn't only occur in the New Testament time. Uh, every generation, even our generation, would face different challenges uh, in wrestling with the gospel. Uh, each generation would need to experience the gospel firsthand for themselves and to rediscover how the gospel is relevant to us now, uh, 21st century Christian. Uh, I still remember the time when um, there's like an eye-opening experience that I had uh, when I was in year one of my uni summer, uh, when I somehow stayed in uh, Australia, and, and when I was uh, studying um, this, actually this course that uh, Leslie talked about, the Introduction to the Bible, our equip course. Um, I grew up in a, in, a, in a church family, and so all these different um, Bible stories, Sunday school stories, I'm kind of familiar with. I can tell you um, David defeating Goliath, I can tell you a Daniel's story, um, the story of Moses uh, bringing Israelites out, um, the story of Abraham and his faith. But all these um, gospel stories, um, Bible stories, are kind of like puzzles in my head. And with that course, particularly the introduction to the Bible, it helps me to kind of put the puzzle together, to link up the whole, um, all these stories into one meaningful uh, salvation plan of God. It opens my eyes to see that, okay, God actually have one purpose in saving humanity uh, from the very beginning to Jesus to now. The grand salvation plan of God uh, unfold before my eyes. Uh, it, it's like a bit like uh, from blindness to finally being able to see. Uh, the whole plan being so clear before me. I almost wonder, okay, what happened before? How I didn't see it before? And throughout that summer, uh, I was just constantly marveling uh, as I read God's word, uh, what God has achieved, uh, constantly responding with, wow, God, uh, with the different passages in the Bible. Each generation would have to, uh, would have its own challenges, uh, own church issues to tackle and to discuss and to come to conclusion, to think about how the gospel speaks to the issues that we are encountering. And it's through the realization of how um, the gospel is not just for them, the New Testament Christians, but also for us now, it's still relevant to us now, that we learn to prioritize God's plan. Uh, we learn to distinguish what's in accordance with God's plan from worldly uh, philosophy, 
from worldly trends that we get exposed to. Well, how was the Council of Jerusalem, uh, these New Testament Christians, how did they make this important decision uh, in Jerusalem? I think ultimately it's, by, it's with humility. Uh, seeing how big God is and hence honoring his choice. Uh, not their human preference. preference. Uh, realizing how big, how comprehensive God's plan is and hence making decisions according to God's plan and not according to their own traditions or customs or what they want to. It's like the feeling, I don't know if you had this uh, feeling before, when you go to, um, well, not city, but rural areas uh, where it's really dark, and when you look up to the sky and see all these stars and even a a Milky Way uh, on the sky and realizing, well, how small I am really compared to the creation and hence how small I am uh, compared to the created God and how big is my God who has created everything. I think this is the realization that we need to have as we navigate and explore church issues, um, as we explore divisive things at church, to know that ultimately it's not about me and my preference. Ultimately, it's about God and our attitude should align with what God has to say in his salvation plan. Well, this is our passage today. So the New Testament church, they have been divided by this significant doctrine, salvation by grace, or do you need to do circumcision? Uh, And the council of Jerusalem with humility, uh, not pointing to themselves, but uh, ultimately made the decision to point to Jesus, uh, point to the choice of God, and the plan of God. Uh, Happy ending, orthodoxy, uh, prevails in the end. Um, Doctrine of salvation by grace, eyes lifted up. Um, The gospel truth is um, lifted up by by them. And is this the end of our story today? Well, unfortunately, no. I don't know if you have noticed, uh, at the end of our passage today, uh, from the letter to, from from the Jerusalem um, Christians to the Gentiles Christians, Um, there's something very interesting as instructions by them. So verse 29, uh, they told them, these Gentiles Christians, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You do well to avoid these things. It makes sense to us, like food sacrificed to idols, like idol worshiping, and sexual immorality uh, uh, is to be avoided. Uh, After all, the gospel calls us to a life of obedience to God. But what about the other bit, uh, the blood and the meat of strangled animals? Does that mean that for us Cantonese that we we can't have uh, our our favorite cuisine, uh, the pig blood, curds, or or, um, our our Hainan chicken, uh, which is not perfectly um, overdone? Um, I don't think so. I think the passage is not so much about um, what we eat, but in elsewhere, it's more talking about, um, yeah, food is not as important. It's more talking about how we, as different, um, different background Christians, um, live together. Because elsewhere, Paul uh, did talk about food, and he said, we are no worse if we do not eat certain food, no better if we do. 
And so what, what does verse 29 mean? Um, the requir requirements from the Jerusalem Council. I think Luke included that particular verse or that letter for us um, to paint us uh, a realistic picture of how church community is like. It is messy, this side of heaven. Uh, the decision made um, back then in chapter 15 was far from satisfactory for both parties, um, the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews, not eating blood and not eating strangled animal, is how they express obedience. Uh, according to the law of Moses, that's what they do um, from day one uh, as a baby. They observe these things. It's what they were taught uh, in synagogues every Sabbath. And so it's really uh, their tradition in their DNA that they don't touch blood and they don't eat animals that blood is not drained out from. And so even though eating blood and strangled animals um, doesn't quite matter, uh, the Gentile Christians were asked by, by the Jerusalem Council to, to show respect and sensitivity to their fellow brothers, um, to respect those who are used to it, have such a tradition. And being saved by grace means that we live in grace. Uh, it means we are to show grace to one another. I think that's the principle that um, what the Jerusalem Council is trying to uh, help both parties to see and observe. It means not insisting on my own freedom to eat whatever I want. It means not insisting on my right to do what I want to do. Um, it means willingness to soften up and give grounds on non-salvation issues. It means willingness to sacrifice my own preference. Um, it means being okay with inconvenience. Uh, it means, at times, making decisions that uh, would be good for the community at a cost to myself. It's countercultural. It's against our nature and our instinct and what we are taught uh, in this world. And it's painful. It's definitely not easy to do. But at the same time, sacrificing oneself is the glorious example of our Lord Jesus Christ who, he was being the very nature of God, uh, did not insist on e being equality um, with God. But for our sake, he made himself nothing, uh, being a creature, being a human, humbled himself to death uh, for our sake, even death on a cross, which means curse uh, in Jewish culture. When we approach issues at church, that we hold different opinions. Divisive issues. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in the moment and, and allow emotions, allow how we feel at that moment um, to get the better of ourselves. It's easy to allow our emotions to take in control and um, just insist on our own ways. What I find helpful um, in moments like that is to ask myself a question. Well, did Jesus die for this brother or sister or this man or woman who holds a different opinion um, from me? Uh, if Jesus died for him or her as well, then really, 
uh, my feeling, uh, my tradition, my emotions shouldn't trump what Jesus has done on the cross. The big cause that Christ has laid down his life for both myself and my Christian brother or sister. What Christ has did on the cross, what God has chosen, should be the deciding factor uh, over how I feel in that moment. Church, when when facing disagreement at church, uh, we have the word of God to guide us. Uh, We have the example of Jesus to learn and to imitate from. And so let's ask God to help us um, to have humility, to live in grace with one another. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, 2,000 years ago, um, your people, um, the the Jerusalem Council, they have uphold um, the biblical truth, the gospel truth of salvation by grace alone. And Father, we ask that we'll continue to uh, wrestle with this truth and see how it's the amazing plan of yours. And hence, um, yeah, live in grace with one another as well. Father, we particularly pray for ourselves as we, uh, as a church, as a congregation, encounter with, um, yeah, issues that's difficult to handle. As we relate with one another and, and can be hurt by one another, uh, can make um, bad comments and, and um, painful experience with one another. We ask that we'll look to you and, um, and respond graciously, uh, just as you have um, graciously um, handled us. And Father, we ask that uh, as Christians saved by grace, that we will live in grace with one another. We will overcome the, the, the boundaries uh, and be a church united in the important truth of your gospel and also have freedom to express um, in other different issues and good discussion with one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.